Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton here with the Cups and Cakes Network. And uh, today I'm really excited to share an interview that I did with uh, Vish Khanna, the host and creator of Creative Control, one of my uh, all-time favorite interview podcasts. Uh, we talk about how he's getting settled in Edmonton. He moved here with his family just a, a couple months before the pandemic kicked off last year. Uh, we talk about his start working in magazines and in radio, how he approaches each interview that he does. And uh, along the way, we touch on what it might be like being 16 and crashing your car into your vice principal's car while you're on your way to pick up your very first drum kit. Uh, make sure to check out Creative Control. There are a ton of amazing interviews. Uh, the interview with Aquaculture quite recently is great. Any of his chats with uh, Steve Albini, uh, Spencer Tweedy back in October, I believe. Uh, tons and tons of, of amazing, amazing interviews. Uh, it's also the 600th episode of Creative Control coming up next Wednesday on March 10th, 2021. So I'm sure y'all can expect a, a very, very special episode. As per usual, there might be some foul language in this episode. So uh, if you don't like that kind of thing, now's your chance to turn this off. And of course, you can head over to the Cups and Cakes Network website, cupsandcakespod.com, to find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Vish Khanna. Hi, my name's Vish Khanna. Perfect. Well, it's super nice to have you on the show. Uh, I will kind of jump into the rapid fire, but uh, right off the bat, uh, I, I found creative control because there was a period of about uh, probably a, a, a year-ish where I kept getting into new bands, and then I would go to try to find things out about those bands, and it would be like, oh, uh, the only thing I can find is a creative control interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's good, I guess. Is that good? That might be bad. Oh, I don't know if that's good or bad. No, it's great. I, uh, you know, the first one I think was uh, the David Berman interview that you'd done a while ago. I got really into that Purple Mountains record when that came out, and I wasn't familiar with any of his kind of other work with the Silver Jews. But uh, hmm. yeah, uh, that aside, let's just uh, hop right into the rapid fire here. Uh, sure. Do you have uh, any uh, fun new quarantine hobbies that you've been uh, occupying your time with? Uh, fun new quarantine hobbies. Not, well, I hang out with my kids a lot, or I try to. My son is uh, spending a lot of time chatting with friends back in Ontario uh, because we moved to Edmonton last January and uh, as soon as we, within a couple of months, obviously everything was on lockdown. So they made, my kids made some friends at school. Uh, but um, yeah, anyway, my new latest hobby, I guess, is we recently signed up for Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. Begrudgingly. And my da daughter is obsessed with all of the movies. So my new hobby is starting movies with her and falling asleep during them <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> Yeah, I guess to just like the nature of quarantine is that anybody who has children is kind of uh, uh, precluded from having or developing other hobbies at this particular moment. Um, do you, Do you have children? I no, I don't. I'm uh, I'm I'm still a, uh, a youngin. I'm only twenty five here. So. Uh. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. I mean, it's also watching 
old TV shows, I guess, or new TV shows, you know, just watching. I guess it's like subscribing to streaming, like, you know, film and TV show streaming services. Yeah. And seeing what's on offer. And then I've been ordering records a lot. Yeah, that's pretty much it. For sure. Well, that leads uh, kind of good into the next one. Uh, is there a, a yeah a TV show or something like that that you've been uh, unable to stop watching? Well, as we're speaking, I I restarted The Sopranos. Oh and yeah. So I watched that many many times before, but something happened and I just started watching it again. Uh, my wife and I just finished Ted Lasso, that show on uh, Amazon with Jason Sudeikis, and we really enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Ten episodes, one season. Yeah, that one's good. I like that. Very funny, well-written, uh, a little fantastical, but a little real as well. So yeah, that, and uh, I was going to watch the Tiger Woods documentary, but there... I haven't done that yet. I'm going to do that, and uh, a lot of cable, American cable news because of all the election stuff. and Of course, yeah. <laughs> US, yeah. So I've been watching a lot of that stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, cake or pie? The question is cake, cake or pie? Yes. What is the context? What is the context of the question? What is the function mm. or event? That's a good question because I feel like yeah, it is really dependent. Um, you know, let's just say you walk into like a really nice bakery and they got some nice looking cakes. You got some nice looking pies, and uh, oh, you just want well, pie, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, I grew up. Uh, I, I'm I'm Indian, and so I grew up eating samosas. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, I love I love samosas. Samosas are basically like spicy pie. When you think <laughs> about it, it's a pie you can hold in your hand. It's got the pastry. It's got the the, the great stuffing. So I'm a pie person, I guess. So I like I like a good classic, you know. And I'm not super. I like all kinds of pies, I suppose. But I am, if I'm at a restaurant or something, and someone's like, "We have pie," I say, "Well, do you have do you have like a nice apple cinnamon pie? I like apple pie." A little vanilla oh, yeah. ice cream. You know, pretty standard. I like the combo of the pie a la mode. So I would go pie. Cake? Cake is just useless on some level. <laughs> it's just a bunch of bread and sugar, and it's not... There's no adventure to it. There's no, like, texture. There's no dynamics. I like yeah. pie because it's crispy, it's soft, it's spicy, it's sweet. It can be all sorts of things. I like pie. Uh, to your coffee... Uh, tea or coffee these are the questions okay i like coffee myself i like coffee i i started drinking coffee uh about six years ago uh when my seven years ago whenever my wife was pregnant after she was pregnant and could drink coffee again i had to learn how to make it and then i started then i was like well what is this vile substance <laughs> that she wants to have all the time so i started drinking and then you know i also had a kind of uh fortuitous trip to chicago uh to the electrical audio studio in uh 2013 or 2014 and uh steve albini there uh made me some kopi lawak uh which is a which is a civet cat coffee which we found out after was it's a very cruel uh conditions that the civet cats are in and so we kind of felt bad about that part of it but the, the coffee was good and then, yeah, I'm sleep deprived with the children. So, yeah, I just started drinking coffee and now I have to have at least one coffee every day. I'm one of those people that I, I hated growing up. The people are like, I need my coffee. <laughs> but I'm not really, I need my coffee. I just do, I just have the coffee. If I don't have the coffee, I have a headache, but I'm fine. I don't have to have it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
And then tea is like, I associate tea with being sick, like having a cold or like a sore throat or something. That's what I think of as tea. My wife likes tea. I don't drink as much tea. Although people say when they're told they should stop drinking coffee, they start drinking tea. So that says something about coffee. Maybe coffee is not as good for you as tea somehow. I don't really know all the nuances nutritionally or otherwise, but coffee, generally, I like the coffee. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer radio or podcasts? Tough question for you, I'd guess. Well, no, not necessarily. I come from radio, and podcasts are just basically captured radio to me on some level. Uh, so uh, I think it's... I like having the... Uh, the radio is on sometimes in the house, uh, sometimes in the car, and I like it fine because... You never know what's going to happen in terms of whatever the uh, host or announcer or producer has programmed. So I like that spontaneity still. But there are times where, because we live in such an on-demand culture, I like to curate my listening experience. So I might listen to a, I might listen to records full on, you know, more than than you know, trusting a random playlist that is that I had no control over. I guess. Uh, which is what I what I think of the radio as, and then podcasts. Yeah, I put on podcasts uh, sometimes too. It just depends on what I'm doing or where I'm going. Uh, we got a fancier car than we've ever had when we moved. We we shipped my 2005 Toyota Matrix on a truck. I had it all safetyed in Ontario, and then in Alberta, when I brought it here, they said nope. I said what? No, I had it all fixed. They said no, and then a guy at the testing place or whatever mechanic said to be honest with you like anything older than two years you might not pass the test i'm like two years whoa they're like very stringent about bringing cars in from out of province so i got so the 2005 toyota matrix had a cd player but it had nothing else it had no no power windows no nothing i had a younger person i drove home after work once and uh it was hot and they're like can i open the window i said sure i mean i have the ac going but sure and they said, okay, how do I... And they kept pressing on... They pressed on the uh, the door lock button. Like the, the 2005 Toyota Matrix had a door... The we had had a button on the panel handle thing. And you press it and it unlocks and locks the door. But she had she thought it was for the window. And I said, no, it's that knobby thing. You twist it. She's like, what? How? <laughs> how do you... I'm like, you just rotate the thing. What are you talking about? Like, I couldn't believe how old I sounded... And how young this person was. Like, what what kind of space-time continuum situation are we in where someone doesn't know how to roll down a window in a car? Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, like, I'm like 25, right? And I've had that situation with people who are, like, not even 10 years younger than I am. Because I also have a car with the knobby, rolly windows. And, yeah, just had mm-hmm. some people who have no clue how to use them. And it's, uh, yeah, a little mind I, 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 I was a bit surprised by that. So anyway, we have the fancier car now, or minivan, I should say, and it's you plug. I can plug in my phone. So I've never had that before. I never had the option to plug in a phone into my car. Yeah. Uh, and then have the have the car ask me what from the phone I wanted to hear. So now, if I'm driving, and these days as we're speaking, I just go to the grocery store or the hardware store every once in a while. I'm not really going too many places. I'm not driving very far. But yeah, I'll put on either an album i'll either have the radio station going at ckua there that's what i listen to in the car or if i if it, the mood strikes i might listen to uh, an album from my uh, you know my apple music on my phone 
and uh, or I'll or I'll listen to a podcast. So, yeah, I'm all over the place. Uh, that actually uh, leads decently well into the next question here. What's uh What's the first car you ever you ever owned? It's a 1989 Nissan Sentra that I inherited from my parents. Uh, what whatever happened to it? How did it uh, meet its end? Uh, let me think here. What happened to that car? Uh, nothing too tragic. I think it just started to go. It always had a few kind of issues, I guess. I don't really remember. I remember how the mini... I also inherited a minivan from my dad. And I remember that the timing belt or the alternator or something, it failed on me on the highway. Like, it just stopped working on the highway. And I had to pull over and get it towed. And they're like, yeah, it's not worth... This is a, you know, a 1993 minivan. It's not going to... It's not worth fixing this thing. It's going to cost too much. The Sentra, I don't... That's a good point. I don't really... It just probably failed the same way. I don't remember why I got rid of it. or how, I don't even remember how we got rid of it. That's an interesting question. Did I sell it <laughs> to someone? Did I trade it in? I don't think I did. Maybe we traded it in or something. I don't remember. Yeah, just uh, put a cinder block on the pedal and uh, <laughs> let her fly into the sunset. I, you know, it probably just... That was a weird car. It had no... The air conditioning stopped working. Actually, so that car was my mom's car primarily. And it's the only accident... I've ever been in was in that car and the accident is stupid so basically my friend Dallas Worley and I and my friend Steve Lamke and I uh, we all were starting to play music in high school and I had to hide this fact from my parents they were very disapproving of music generally okay so one day one day we lived in Cambridge Ontario and we decided I had developed a proclivity to play the drums more than yeah. the other people. Everyone else was playing some guitar or bass, and we needed a drummer. So we, my my first drum kit I got from the Penny Saver. Uh, I got a used drum kit. My friends Aaron and Duncan and I, we, we got this drum kit, and we just set it up the best we could, and then I started playing it, and I could kind of do it better than they could, I guess. And so then I became <laughs> kind of a drummer. And then, anyway, this one day, uh, it was a Sunday, I... My friend Dallas and I were going to go to nearby Kitchener or Waterloo. I think it was Waterloo. There was a church selling a used Tama drum kit. And I told my parents that Dallas and I were going to the library, that we weren't going to buy a drum kit. So I had my car, which in retrospect, I don't even know, I guess the drum kit fit in the car, but it's weird that I could even fit the drum kit in that (laughs) tiny car. But anyway... I pull out of the subdivision that I lived with, you know, my parents and I lived in, and I'm at a stoplight, and I'm going to go left uh, to go get Dallas before we head to Waterloo. And I am such a terrible liar. I, I am the worst. I can't do it. And I, <laughs> I and I get nervous uh, if I have to f- fake something, you know, like a lie. So I'm in the left turn lane. There's two cars ahead of me. There's a giant sort of like passenger van thing, and... We're all going to go left. And I'm kind of like nervously looking at the wa- the directions to go to Waterloo. I don't know why. I have them scrawled on a piece of paper. This is very a long time ago before there was GPS or anything. So I'm looking at the paper, just looking at it, and I th- I'm already a little, you know, nervous. The van ahead of me um, starts the, the light. I can't see the light. The van is so tall. I can't even see that the light has turned green. The van ahead of me inches forward, and I miscalculate. And I step on the gas a little too hard. Like I'm like 16 or 17 or something like that. I hit the van. 
I hit the van. It hits the car in front of it, and oh, uh, no. and I'm, I'm I've gone like t- twenty kilometers an hour. Like I've just accelerated. Like I barely hit at any speed, but we were so close together that he was so close to the car in front of me, and I smashed into it. So anyway, this guy jumps out of the car, the van, and he's I can tell he's cursing and swearing, and I I, I see him first, and I say uh, I'm very sorry. I don't know what's going on. And he's grumbling, and I hit his trailer hitch. Yeah, and it turns out the car ahead, the car ahead also had a trailer hitch, so two trailer hitches are hit, and so the guy out of the front of the car makes himself known. It's my vice principal. It's my <laughs> high school vice principal, Mr. Bruce, on a Sunday, and Mr. Bruce and I don't interact much. Like I wasn't a great student or particularly super well behaved. I would get in trouble every once in a while. Mr. Bruce doesn't know me so so well, but he's like, wait a minute. You're you're a student at Glenview, aren't you? And I say, uh, yes, yes, Mr. Bruce. Well, what were you thinking? What were you doing? I'm like, well, so, sorry, sir. I was, I don't know what was, I couldn't, I, I had um, uh, directions and I was, I was just reading them. And this is an educator. He starts screaming at me. Whoa. You reading? You were reading? You were reading? He just keeps yelling, you were reading. <laughs> now, the guy in the van, it, it turns out his name is Edward Drinkwater, which I thought was a fascinating <laughs> name. Edward Drinkwater. So Edward Drinkwater says, ah, okay, so we exchange contact info and whatnot. No insurance is, well, insurance is invoked, but we we exchange info. Yeah. And uh, I I have, like, because the trailer hitch, I have, like, a half a golf ball-sized... Uh, indent in the front <laughs> bumper of the Nissan Sentra. So I drive to Dallas's house and I'm freaking out. Like I, I got an accident. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I, I don't know. That's crazy. So we, I decide I'm going to go back and tell my dad what happened. And, uh, and he, he's mad at me. I didn't tell him. I don't think I told him about the drum kit still. I think it was still like a library excursion. Yeah. And so, yeah, it turns out so a couple of things. Uh, Mr. Bruce, my vice principal, got the auto shop kids to fix his trailer hitch. <laughs> and Edward Drinkwater did something sort of similar. He got someone to fix it. Didn't cost me a dime. But in the ensuing months, the air conditioning stopped working in the Nissan Sentra. Yeah. So And, and we attributed it to this, this jarring collision. Yeah. That it... it it screwed up the Freon or whatever the hell is in the air conditioning. Yeah. So it just stopped working. So I used to, so yeah, for the rest of the time I had that car, if I was, it was hot, going back to the windows thing, I would, even on the 401 highway, you know, driving for two hours to visit my girlfriend or my friend in Coburg. Yeah. I had to drive because it was so hot. I would drive with the windows down and the music blaring. <laughs> and so, when I finally got my, I got my hearing tested, and they're like, "Yeah, you've got a little loss in the frequency that pe- uh, we associate with people uh, having their windows down." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I've only did that for two years, driving around with the windows down on the highway for two hours at a time because I was an idiot uh, oh, and man. yeah, didn't even yeah." So anyway. That is the story of the, the Nissan Sentra. It had some problems. I don't remember how it met its end, but that's what happened. <laughs> uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? The weirdest job I've ever had? Huh. I don't... What have I done? 
Weirdest? Why weirdest? What is weird? What 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 do you define as weird? Yeah, you know, um, it's tough because there's definitely been uh, folks that I've talked to. Like I talked to Graham Wright from Tokyo Police Club, and I had asked him this, and he was like, "I don't know," because I was like 16 and I worked at Chapters, and then I turned 18 and I was in Tokyo Police Club. Um, yeah, like for- I'm trying to think of weird. Like I had. I've had jobs, different jobs. I'm just trying to think of what would constitute weird weirdness about them. Uh, I had, uh, well, I'll tell you what was sort of weird. It's not weird about the job. Well, I mean, the job had its weirdness for sure. But after I uh, graduated from undergrad uh, in Guelph, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was also a little like in uh, in a tumultuous relationship and, didn't know if I wanted to skip town completely or whatnot. So I applied to grad schools in Halifax and Alberta, and I applied in Guelph as well, just in case I wanted to stick around. And in between going to school, I went, uh, I got a job at a car rental place. Um, Okay. It was, it was part of a, it was a franchise, but then the guy, the owner is really like an eccentric millionaire who lived in like rural Ontario yeah. And he bought out he bought out the franchise license or whatever and then made his own company, which the parent company was really upset about. But anyway, so he had these it was actually really so it's not weird, but it's weird in the in the sense that it's a couple things. It was, a, it was so, so it was sort of a small company because there were franchise initially there were franchise locations in Guelph, in Brampton, in Orangeville. So like and and in uh, uh, Fergus and like so the like kind of rural communities like he was a rural guy so he had these yeah. franchises dotted like a f- within a couple of hours of each other but every once in a while if you if you were lucky your day at the fran- at the car rental place was hey stop cleaning that car I need you to take the Nissan Pathfinder to Arthur or yeah. Bolton hours and hours away. And come back. Bring. We need a. We need a cargo van, or we need a Corolla. So if you were lucky, you would do that. You you your day would just be spent. I would bring CDs, or I'd have the radio on, and I would just listen to music and drive around in the country. And it was so great. And I still recommend. I wish I had known about because I worked at a, a self serve gas station for most of high school and into university, and then went and then quit working. Uh, as school got more intense and then yeah had this job so i uh it was super fun but the weird part of it is i'd lived in guelph for four years uh, more or less doing you know i would go home some summers but i would more you know most summers yeah i went home to work quite a bit so i went to my parents house to save money and i had a job that i could always go to so yeah i lived in guelph though and you know i was a student in guelph and we took public transit everywhere or we walked everywhere and you kind of knew what you knew. And then I had this car rental place and Guelph was so spread out in a weird way. It is so spread out as a city that you didn't really, if you didn't have to go to parts of it, you didn't have to go to parts of it. You just never knew about them. You maybe vaguely heard about them. But with the car rental job, I swear to God, if you want to know a city, uh, you know, talk to, be a cabbie, be a car rental. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to be a cabbie. You, I got to know the city for the first time in four years. I was like, I had no idea. And I was discovering like, strips of like you know restaurant strips i'd never heard of uh and 
it was great. Like I was just like, oh, there's the I didn't know about that Italian place. And then you go and sure enough, it's the best Italian place in the city or the Thai place, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. Was it? It was not weird. I mean, there was definitely weirdness among the employees and some of the clientele. Of course, you learn about people a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, from a job like that because it is ostensibly retail. But I was mostly a car jockey. They would always say, "Hey, you know, you're an educated young man. Why don't you want to be?" doing the customer service job, the desk job. And I'd say, you know what? I don't. I just don't want to. I'd rather <laughs> change oil and clean, learn how to clean a car and and wash things and be do practical stuff and not deal with people as, as the only... I would deal with people because I would, you know, you drive them to their home or you pick them up from their home and all that stuff. And that was fine. Yeah. I liked... I enjoyed all that. Like And the interaction, they either want to talk or they don't want to talk. It was great. I liked it. And you learn about people and I learned about the community and I really enjoyed it. It wasn't being a taxi cab driver, but it was sort of like that. And yeah, uh, it was, and I love driving. Like I love, I've often road managed tours and I, or, or road managed my own bands and I love it. I love driving long stretches and all that stuff. So, so the weird thing is the weird part is lived in the city for years, vaguely knew it, got a job, Open my eyes to what the city really was. That is that weird enough for you? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. Um, do you have? I know you've only been in Edmonton here for uh, probably just the most bizarre year. Um, but yeah. do you have a, a favorite uh, local bite to eat? Uh, not really yet. Uh, in that, so okay. My wife is from Edmonton, uh, and we've been together twenty years. So we, I've been to Edmonton a bunch. Uh, some of the names are already escaping me. Like I like, I liked visiting when we visited, which is when, okay, there's a great Thai place called Saifei. I like that. There's a, are, I forget. Are you in Edmonton? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like Saifei. I like Tony's pizza. I like Ragazzi pizza. What's the, uh, what's the, um, sort of New Orleans thing. It's like a sandwich place. Oh, uh, yeah, Daddios. Daddios. Daddios has been fine. I like that. Um, there's a great sushi place right across Kitty Corner from the Garneau Theater whose name escapes me. Uh, I don't even know if they're still open now. Uh, yeah, geez, it's so tough, too, knowing like what even still exists when you haven't been able to actually go eat in any of those places. Yeah, like I don't... So I... Uh, as we're speaking, it's mid-January. I have not had any rest. I have had one restaurant meal, uh, takeout meal, since March. Yeah, uh, I've not. E- I've not had anything from the outside that we haven't cooked ourselves. Uh, just because I know what we're. I know what condition we're in when we're cooking and all that stuff. It's a little bit of paranoia. I'll, I'll admit it. But I also, I'm just like I don't. I don't feel comfortable with ever gotten food poisoning. And then someone's like, Oh, you know why they tell you to wash your hands when you're in the kitchen. They don't want you. They don't want you to make other people sick. They want your hands clean. So when you're cooking, so then I'm like, okay, that's the logic I think I have. Like, you know, I know it's a yeah airborne situation, but I don't want to get anything from anyone. And so, you know, I was just saying to my wife yesterday, like, yeah, we're buying groceries. I don't know what condition, the food that was hermetically sealed. <laughs> I don't know what kind of particles <laughs> were in that packaging or whatever when someone sealed it up, but hopefully it's fine. And 
And yeah, we're just cooking nonstop, and I enjoy that a lot. I enjoy cooking. It's something that um, in before the pandemic, uh, as a parent and as someone who worked works at a job, uh, time to properly prepare meals and spend time with your family uh, wasn't there. So that aspect of the pandemic life, working from home, your kids are at home. In our case, our kids are doing school from home. Lots more time, lots more time to learn how to cook and try things and go through your rest, your, your, go through your cookbooks. I have a thing that I'm trying to do. We haven't done it yet. I said to my wife, we should just pick a cookbook because we have a billion of them and just go through it. <laughs> go through the things we think look appealing and just make uh, one thing a week. Yeah. Uh, from that cookbook until we decide, yeah, these are good and, and this isn't good. So let's move on to a different cookbook. I don't know. I haven't done it yet. But I thought we've got this extensive library of cookbooks. Let's go through it, and that's not something we we did. We did some of that before. My wife's a great cook. Yeah, I'm an okay cook. I can cook, but not like she can cook. And so, yeah, I I I'm enjoying that aspect of it. It feels, even though you know we're not uh, picking the fruit and vegetables ourselves and hunting and gathering, it feels a little self sufficient to be able to make. Uh, the food, all the food yourself. And, you know, try to plead. We have pizza night every week. Uh, the kids are starting to get a little like, I don't want these burgers and fries. I'm like, what the hell? We're trying to actually replicate the fast <laughs> food experience. Why wouldn't you? Okay, fine. It's it, We're having pad thai then. And then my son and my daughter are like, more bok choy. I'm like, what is, what? Okay, good. I guess that's good. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's just, they're like, we don't want this. We don't want this pizza. We want, give me some broccoli. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's good. We're learning about ourselves and, and cooking. So I like that part of it. Yeah. But I, I do. I wish everyone well. Oh, man, there's also a good uh, Spanish place near my work uh, that I liked for. We were going there for lunch and I can't remember what it's called. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, there's some good stuff. <laughs> I just haven't had a chance to explore it all. For sure. Uh, we got uh, two rapid-fire ones here left. Uh, is there an album that spurred your love of music? Well, the first music I was consciously played was uh, the Beatles compilation. I think it's called Rock and Roll Music Volume 1 or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I've got that. <laughs> yeah, so my cousin played that for me when I was six years old, and that's what opened my eyes to music uh, and and I thought was cool right away and was interested in it. And then there was a documentary that played on PBS that I, or my father, somebody, I guess I must've figured it out. I was very young, but I figured out how to record it off the TV onto a VHS tape. It's called the complete Beatles. And I really liked that. So I just became a Beatles fanatic as a, as a kid. And so, uh, and then the first tape I ever, bought on with my own money or whatever was also a compilation called the Beatles ballads. Uh, so I would play that a lot. Oh which yeah. Which is funny cause I don't, I don't really, uh, like compilations or greatest hits sets now, but because I, I feel like the context for a record is, is interesting and important. It's probably why I interview people is, is to just be like, Oh, well, what, what, what was going on when you made this thing? Like what? So yeah, so yeah, but yeah, those those things for sure, I would say. Then uh, very last one, are there any kind of uh, smaller or lesser known bands that you want to kind of give a shout out to? Uh, 
yeah, things that you feel uh, people should tune into? Well, I've been trumpeting Nisa from Toronto a lot, who put out my favorite record of last year, uh, Girls Like Me. I like that a lot, and um, she's been on my mind lately uh, just because we all fell in love with the record when I started blasting it around the house. Uh, I also like Cots, which is a band from Guelph uh, featuring Steph Yates. Uh, okay. I like Steph. I like Steph's work a lot as well. Um, and then, yeah, I don't. Uh, there is a record coming out uh, in a couple of months by a fellow on. And I'm. It's uh, his name. And it's escaping me for some reason at the moment, but I believe his name is Corey Hansen. Okay. And uh, Corey Hansen has a record coming out called Pale Horse Rider, and uh, it's uh, coming out on Drag City in March, and it's really beautiful. I, I really like it. So those are some things. I like aquaculture a lot. Uh, I had kind of slept on the last Songhoi Blues album as well, Optimism. Uh, so I like that. It came out in October, and I guess... I missed it, and I'm a big fan of that band. I've seen them a couple of times. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are those are some things. Perfect. Well, let's uh, kind of transition over into the uh, second half of things here. Then, uh, right off the bat, I mean, you've talked about moving to Edmonton here in the past year. Um, how has that year been? Like getting used to a new city in the context of all this. <laughs> Getting used to a new city has been impossible, um, <laughs> pretty pretty much. There's no getting used to the new city. I just uh, there's some been there's been some remarkable aspects to this, and I say this with all due respect to to anyone who has been afflicted by COVID or lost people to COVID. My family and I lost a family friend to to COVID. Yeah. Um, so I'm not trying to, but I mean I don't know. Part of waking up every day. And listening to music or or sharing a joke is to, uh, uh, you know, curb our tendency to have a negative bias and and to be cheery. So let's look at the bright side of this horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm barely spending any money on gasoline, <laughs> barely at all. Uh, barely putting kilometers on the car. Uh, barely you know, not polluting the environment. Uh, as I say, we have time back in our lives that we would, you know, when I first got here, I was getting up at 6.30 in the morning and catching a bus to be at my desk by 8 in the morning and then rushing home to try to get my kids when they got off their school bus. And it was a nightmare to some extent because I was new. Yeah. Figured it all out, but, you know, buses are late. The transit system here is not great and uh, not reliable. <laughs> and so, yeah. so yeah, just stuff like that. Like all that sort of like stress and rushing around is gone. All that extra money on, oh, I didn't pack enough lunch. I got to go get a snack. All that stuff is gone. Uh, I've had internet-based computer jobs for a good chunk of my postgraduate life. And I've always been baffled as they've developed, you know, it was becoming increasingly clear that I was simply taking a laptop from work to my home and back again and plugging it in. And I could have done everything from my house just as easily. And had and now 
and sort of, and there's always been resistance to these notions that I've had about such things, you know, like, what, right. well, I don't understand. Why can't we, we could have meetings from home. We can do all sorts of things from home. There's enough technology and they, you know, various companies would just say, no, can't do that. Uh, but the company I work for now is so progressive and great that um, they were on it right away. You know, that notion of like, well, it's not safe for all of us to be gathered in an office. So yes, let's do our best to to work remotely and now everyone's doing that and yeah we're learning learning that you can do that so uh yeah so the city itself i don't it's a bit of a bummer because i was just trying to figure out where things were and uh you know trying to get a sense of what the good restaurants and and businesses were and and some of them i'd visited on previous trips uh record stores and things like that but just have not had a chance obviously like yeah. I also, as you may recall, last January, there were like record-breaking uh, cold temperatures. Like it was so cold when we arrived that I kind of quickly, before the pandemic uh, had led to a, a, a sort of forced or, you know, a lockdown by necessity, I was always like, well, why the hell would you go outside? It's freezing. Like, you know, whenever you went out, it was just a bit of an ordeal. Like, it's so cold. So I was like, I can see why people maybe don't go out as much um, when it's super cold out. So you just sort of hunker down. And so we went from, you know, it was minus 40 or something every day for a week or a couple weeks. It was really bad, as I recall. Um, of course, this time, it was, I think it was all this time last year. And this, it's been incredibly mild until it's, a, it's, cold today as i'm speaking to you but it's been it's just weird like a year ago i was no matter what i was wearing i felt underdressed and cold waiting for buses to not show up when they were supposed to (laughs) and so um yeah so to answer your question i don't i feel like there's been a bit of a stasis here like i know what i know about the city but i'm also not compelled to i'm not i don't feel a loss in not being able to explore it right now um, that I think makes sense. The, the best, yeah, I think the best thing we can all do is kind of hunker, hunker down. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. I'm not. I don't feel the missing yet. So where where are you working then here in Edmonton? So I, I work at CKUA. Okay, yeah. And that's been. Uh, I I mean I love CKUA and there's just so many great hosts. But I guess like what. Uh, what kind of work, I guess, are you doing for them? I'm behind the scenes. I'm doing more like communications kind of work and uh, the odd, the odd, the odd on-air production work. Uh, but yeah, so it's good. It's a lot of storytelling, and yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 also like it is interestingly, it is the digital version of that car rental job thing I was describing earlier, where I'm I'm trying to share stories by listeners and. And, and staff members and hosts. And so I'm learning about people and the, the city and the community sort of vicariously through them. Uh, yeah. And so I'm sort of meeting people in a sense, but not exactly, you know? So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, like, jumping back in time then, uh, you mentioned you did an undergrad at, at Guelph. What, what did you do an undergrad in? English. English was my English. undergrad and my master's thesis or sorry my thesis in undergrad was on the pervasiveness of hip-hop culture oh Uh, cool yeah 
you've obviously then had like a, a lifelong interest in music and in playing. Um, how did how did that transition into like wanting to talk to people about the process of making music or making art? Well, I've always since like I mentioned, I got into the Beatles and then then was obsessed with this documentary called The Complete Beatles, which told the story of, uh, you know, a version of their story. And so from an early age, I just thought, well, that's what you do. You listen to the music and then you watch stuff about it or you read magazines or books. So most of my books and I had, you know, subscriptions to the major rock magazines and then started to get into fanzines and uh, much music uh, was actually really great when I was growing up. Like you could watch really substantive and freeform interviews. Like it was formal and informal, you know, uh, you could right. tell people were kind of, it was very, uh, it was verite or whatever, but it was also really in the moment and had a, you, you know, there were people whose style you liked or didn't like as hosts or interviewers, but there was an authenticity to it that I really appreciated too. And as, uh, coming of age in the 90s, that sort of definition of authenticity or the idea of authenticity became more and more important because part of the uprising of 90s bands was this is not pretense or bullshit. This is real stuff. Right. So, so, so yeah, all of that uh, led me to, yeah, I would play music and be, I'm trying to think of how it started. I just, I was interested, I was a, I was a writer and a, a news person like I liked reading the news and so I started to freelance for uh, an alt weekly magazine in Guelph and then I started freelancing for exclaim magazine and so I was doing those two things primarily and what I came to realize is that I would record these like you know sometimes 30 to 45 minute interviews and then have to write a hundred or 200 word articles and I'd be like but there's all this great stuff right what do we do? What, what do I do with all this other stuff? Like there's nowhere to like, what, <laughs> what I don't get it. So in 2005, my wife and I, I'd lived in Guelph by that point for, I guess, nine years or so. And I would listen to the campus radio station and would think it was amazing. But I also thought I could contribute something to it in a way that had more information and accuracy. Um, just hearing people, do things made me think, well, maybe we can do a version of this, but we try to do our best to be as informative and insightful as we can, not just play songs or whatever. So, yeah. So that was the uh, outlet I had to share the interviews. So I, I would still get these, uh, you know, magazine assignments, but then instead of just letting the, you know, 45 minutes of the 50 minute conversation just be lost to the ether, uh, you know, just I'd be sitting on this tape. I could just say, hey, so-and-so, I have to write this, art. I'm going to write this article about you, but can we pretend we're on the radio so that we can, I can play it on my radio show too? And everyone generally, unless there was some meddling publicist or label person involved <laughs> or manager would say, yeah, that sounds great. So I was, I kind of was early into the two birds with one stone side of things. Like, you know, it's sort of customary now to uh, open up an article and they've got a video link of the interview that they did with the person or they've got the audio that you can hear. And I kind of just I just started doing that, 
not in terms of like making internet sites that did that, but I was I was of the same mind. Well, yeah, this is this is viable for at least a couple of mediums. Like I can write the article. Yeah. And and then I can also share the audio for these small uh, audience we have on our at, at the radio station and but that developed like because I was doing that double posting and because I had the the clout of the magazines uh, to to lean on uh, I would start to get our radio our show had some fairly prominent very prominent guests I would say and for sure yeah it was yeah it was kind of bonkers who we would have like people assumed we booked on our radio show, <laughs> which we did. I mean, like I always framed it that way. Like we're going to, Hey, Pat and Oswald, we're going to pretend we're on the radio, even though I have to write this like, you know, 50 word article about your new comedy special and be like, great. So we talk for 20 minutes and, and I would even do breaks. So I'd say, okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, and maybe we'll play something right. from your comedy record, Pat. And how about that? He'd be like, great. I, I pick this. And so I'd say, okay, we'll back with more. And then, you know, fake throw to something because we weren't really live yeah and it just developed it just developed into this like i know i was talking about authenticity it it felt real like it was fake like it was pre-recorded uh for live Uh, but i just developed uh, no one told me how to do this i just sort of decided that was a thing i could do and then when i started to work at the cbc people came calling and asking if i would contribute and then eventually i worked there and I realized they did the same thing. Yeah. They did the exact same thing. You know, they were doing down to the audio <laughs> software. Like, I remember the job interview I had initially where they're like, well, so we use a thing called Adobe Edition. I'm like, yeah, that's what I use. They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so everything about it felt very seamless. And then, yeah, we were doing a lot of like pre-records, pretending they were live, uh, double pur- purposing an audio thing for a blog post. So I don't know. I just felt... I was on that trajectory of like, my thing is I always want to share whatever I can with an artist, with the public. Right. Um, you know, what, whatever reach the platforms I have, uh, have, like I don't, I, some things are smaller than others. Uh, some things circulate what more widely than others. It can depend on the guest. It can depend on the day and the time uh, that you put something out into the world, particularly these days. But yeah, that was it. I just wanted to share everything I could. So I didn't want to be sitting. It did. It felt selfish to be sitting on a 50-minute interview with an interesting artist and only sharing, you know, a couple of quotes from them. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting content generally. So why not share the whole thing? And then it also, we had a two-hour show on the college radio show. So why not? fill that out and so some interviews might be 20 minutes some might be 45 minutes um that kind of thing so yeah just i the the thing with campus radio and podcasts that really appealed to me is there were really no other than sort of some language things with the radio stuff right there were no real rules like you could kind of do whatever you wanted and podcasts are certainly that way like for better or for worse you can some people post three-hour interviews and some people post 15-minute <laughs> interviews and you can kind of do whatever you want. And if you find an audience for it, you find an audience for it. And so that's, yeah, just, I think the thing is, for me, is just always wanting to share the conversations with the artists and hopefully help the artists or the guests 
with whatever they're doing. And I kind of just have the technical skill set and have developed some interviewing and hosting chops that some that uh, (laughs) always improving, always trying to improve that stuff. But yeah, it's that's where the motivation lies is just wanting to spread the word and, and hopefully share things that I think are interesting with other people who might find them interesting. So uh, jumping forward then to creative control as well, uh, which started in 2013, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it seems like there's this through line that we've touched on a couple times between stuff in campus radio or radio of any kind and through to recording podcasts that you book these just amazing guests. Um what guides you in terms of choosing people that you would like to talk to? Well, it's generally people I'm interested in. I mean, 99% of it is people I'm fascinated by or they made something I like. The 1%, the 1% of it can be, uh, I don't even know why I would, sometimes there are things, so 99% of it is like, I'm super interested in this thing and I'm going to pursue it. And then 1% is someone pitching to me. 1% might be a bit low, but there I get pitched things, obviously. And there are things often that I don't, I'm not familiar with. So I guess I'm only designating this as such because I like to be surprised and I am curious, but I feel, I noticed that last year during the pandemic, like when I was looking at who was on the show, there were so many repeat guests or people I was super familiar with already because we are in a weird zone with this pandemic where I think our sense, what I used to love seeing, I, I used to go to shows and want to see the opening band because yeah. that's where all the surprise is. That's where all the discovery is. And that's kind of gone now. Um, and I trusted those uh, live sets uh, more than the SoundCloud link or, the record maybe sometimes like oh shit like i saw this band and they were incredible now i'm going to check out their record i kind of have the opposite there are obviously songs that grab you um or resonate based on their merits or their you know the 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 link that you got but i i liked going to see things so there is a percentage of things that i'm pitched that i say okay i'll check this out and i get kind of blown away by that and like on some level, the Nisa thing is interesting because I saw Nisa twice and loved it, but then got the record and yeah. re- we all, my whole family just really loved the record. And so that was a nice, but again, I was compelled to check out the album and be excited about the album because I'd seen her live a couple of times. So yeah, all this to say, yeah, all this to say like, yeah, I book what I'm interested in. It goes back to what I was saying a few moments ago, but like we can do whatever we want. So I don't feel, you know, when you work at a place like CBC, you know, maybe 85% of the things are things you really care about and are really interested in. But every once in a while, they'll say, can you, we need someone to talk to this person. Right. And you might think in your head, you might think in your head, well, I'm not a fan of that at all. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but sure, you know, if I have to, I have to. So the the podcast that I have is not like that. I mean, if someone's been on the show, it's because I wanted them on the show. I mean, there are people who, there are things that I, when I think on the whole close to 600 episodes, I'm sure there's a percentage of them where I'm like, why the hell did I have that? Like, I don't, I never revisited that record or that movie (laughs) or 
was that a favor to someone? Like, why did I do that? But very rarely is that the case. So to, to what extent uh, do you try to like structure your conversations that you have with people? Or are you, uh, I guess, more comfortable just kind of letting it go wherever it may? All of the research is done beforehand and is in my head. So it depends on what the thing is. Like if it's an author, I've read their book and I have thoughts about it. If it's a musician similar or a filmmaker or whatever, I usually just consume whatever they've made. And then I don't, uh, uh, I used to have notes and questions and I don't uh, anymore. Unless, unless there's something where I'm like, make sure you get to that. Like and it's just usually like, I might have a thing in front of me that says, uh, pancakes and that'll be the word that that <laughs> reminds me to ask about the pancakes and so then I say at some point during the conversation I will stumble into like oh yeah I meant to ask you about the pancakes and then we talk about the pancakes but generally I have nothing I have no notes uh, I have noticed that the show like a lot of conversations we have in life I think the episodes sometimes have a when you're meeting someone for the first time or in my case, like it's a weird combination of me meeting someone for the first time, so to speak, or or conversing with them for the first time, but also being cognizant of the fact that other people are listening who might have no idea who this person is at all and may not, in many cases, have, have not dedicated the mental energy to their work or this person the way I just have to prepare for the interview. So you're kind of always cognizant of the fact that you're you need to speak in a somewhat general tone so that no one feels lost behind like there's not people who hear the show might if someone says like so i was talking to phil and i'll say like oh right phil from the the studio the recording studio he had the gun right and they'll be like oh right like i'll 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 sort of uh prompt the guest to explain something so that anyone listening sometimes i miss those or they go by so fast that i can't get to them so but yeah, I'm always sort of, it's this weird combination of introducing myself to someone and them introducing themselves to me, but also being conscious of the fact that we're both introducing ourselves potentially to people who don't know either of us. So the what I've noticed is there is kind of a uh, present, past, future uh, form to the conversations. Like it's like a, it's like a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Like it's it's the, <laughs> those those three ghosts are kind of floating around every conversation. Like I want to get to what you're doing, where did you come from to get here, what's coming up for you next. And that is in a nutshell, it's not very conscious, but I if I, you know, I have to edit myself. So I hear with the I hear every conversation like I experienced the conversation and then I have to hear it again to edit it. And so that's, those are the kinds of uh, patterns I notice um, doing this every week. It's like, oh, okay, that's just something I seem to think is a way of getting at someone's work in a comprehensive way. Right. So actually uh, speaking of that, as we get kind of to the end of the interview here, uh, What's what's coming up next uh, for you? Like, uh, are there kind of any interviews on the docket that you're really excited to put out? Anything uh, that you're, uh, yeah, excited about for the next uh, few months? 
Uh, it's hard to say exactly. Um, depending on when people hear this, I'll be either just pa- just passed or are coming up on a 600th episode of the show. Uh, I try to mark these milestones by swinging wildly for the fences and asking people who uh, mean a lot to me or, or haven't been too chatty uh, to be on the show. So, but I... I hesitate to say too much more than that um, because uh, I don't know who that's going to be. I have some asks out. Yeah. uh, Pitches that are being considered. Uh, I haven't had any confirmations on on that. But yeah, the 600th episode will hopefully be special uh, to me in particular, I guess, and and hopefully to the people listening. For sure, yeah. And then, yeah, otherwise... um, yeah, I've gone back. I'm trying desperately to go down to one episode a week as opposed to two because I it's very time consuming to do two uh, yeah, to no edit kidding. and chase and all that stuff. So I'm back to one and I'm feeling comfortable with it. Um, so yeah, it'll be a mix of interest and and there seems to be a lot of stuff coming out still despite the sort of frozen nature of cultural work uh, in terms of touring and all that stuff. Like people are still writing books and putting them out and making records and putting them out and, and making films. So yeah, um, make, making comedy records or comedy doing stuff with comedy. So yeah, this just seems to be, uh, there seems to be, uh, some space here for me to, uh, to do stuff. So yeah, I'm pretty, as I look down what's coming, what might be coming up, I'm pleased to see not a lot of people I've spoken to before. Um, or pe- and, and so far, so good. I, I'm not married to that idea because there's records coming out by people I'm big fans of and who have been on the show before. And I'm, it's not a For rule sure. or anything that you can't can't be on the show twice or something like that. But I I just was cognizant of it when I was looking back at the, the year that just passed. And I think it had something to do with circumstances. So For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, there are obviously people that are uh, of a higher profile that I would love to have on the show, but uh, it'll be difficult probably as always, but yeah, it's, it's, it's coming along. I'm happy with what's coming up. Perfect. Well, uh, folks that are listening here then can and should go uh, uh, check out creative control. Uh, There's just a, a, yeah, an incredible backlog of uh, interviews that you've done and uh, keep an eye out for that 600th episode spectacular. Uh, we normally finish things up here by by playing a track. I don't know if there's something that you've played on that you'd uh, you'd want to feature here that we could play. Well, since I left Guelph, I've had some of my old uh, all of the bands I've been in were in Guelph. Um, so I I want to go. Since you asked, I want to go to something by a band I was in uh, in the early part of the century. The band was called the Neutron Stars. I was with my friend Tristan O'Malley, who's on my mind a lot. I we've been talking a bit, and so I uh, we made a record with Andy McGoffin at the House of Miracles. Uh, okay. The album is called Homes, Homes, Not Where the Heart Is, and I think uh, I will pick. It was a record that I really liked making, and then you know you move on, and I played with other people and did other things, and and sort of um, the band sort of dissolved, and. I didn't revisit it, but then my kids started to realize that I played music, so they would ask to hear it in the car. <laughs> uh, 
so I would say, okay, well, here's some of the bands I played in, and yeah. they they liked it. My son, in particular, was really interested and fascinated by it for a while there. So he liked the Neutron Stars record a lot, and I was like, yeah, it is good. Like I kind of forgot how much thought we put into everything, and you know, sometimes when you make a thing, you're so close to it that you're like, ah, it's nothing. It's who cares. <laughs> But it was yeah. nice to hear my son. My son's excitement for it made me kind of happy. And so I think uh, there's lots of cool songs. What do you feel like? Do you want something upbeat? Do you want something kind of, how are you feeling? I played drums or I, and I sang some songs, but I, or I, I wrote two songs or three songs, mostly played drums, sang one, but I don't want to play the one I sing on. I'd like to play, do you want like a rocker? Do you want something kind of fun? Yeah, let's do a rocker. Okay. There's a song we had that I liked uh, called uh, So Many Times. So why don't we play uh, So Many Times by the Neutron Stars from from our uh, 2003 album, Home's Not Where the Heart Is. Does that work for you? Absolutely. Uh, well, that's that's coming right up here then. Uh, Vish, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me here. Sean, I really appreciate this, and thank you for uh, for warmly welcoming me to your show, and in a sense, the city. It means a lot to uh, to hear from you, and I, I really appreciate this. Thank you. Oh, yeah, no problem. Can't wait to uh, yeah see you out and about when things go back to normal here. <laughs> yeah, uh, 2023? Sounds good. <laughs>
got nothing on my mind. Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track so many times was played with permission from the Neutron Stars. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song Nothing On My Mind from the Grimpy EP as our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.